0: All right. Let's uh, get our Bibles open. I want to read for a kickoff here some from Psalm fifty, verse twenty three, and I want to uh, go quickly here in the time that we have left. I want to, uh, Megan. This is that point I was warning you about where we're going to skip about the first ten minutes. All right, um, but I want to pick up in Psalm fifty, verse twenty three. It says this: "Giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me." That's the Lord speaking. Giving thanks is a sacrifice. That truly honors me. Part of why we've been focusing on transcendence is because it, the important thing about doctrine is it helps shape us in certain ways that, are, that hopefully are pleasing to God. When we get our doctrine right, how many of you know then we get our lives right? When we get our lives right, our lives are pleasing to the Lord. So why is transcendence so important? I'll just give you one word why transcendence is so important. It's the word humility. How many of you know out of all the human attributes, out of all the things that God loves in us as human beings, Probably the top of his list, the thing that's most beautiful to God Almighty coming from us has to be humility. That's why to me, any doctrine that exalts us and makes God someone who's watching on the side is not a sound doctrine because doctrines that exalt God, exalt his greatness, exalt his wisdom, exalt his majesty, exalt all the things that are infinite about God are also doctrines that cause us to feel small. And I just wanna say, There's a difference between feeling insignificant or having a bad self-image or not liking yourself. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about rolling around in the dirt like some worm, you know. That's not what we're after here. That's not the balance, is it? Because we're sons and we're daughters, and God's exalted us to a great place of honor with him. But here's the, the truth. When we come to the Lord, first of all, we have to come recognizing, as Andrew brought out, who He is. who is this God that we're approaching? You know, Thanksgiving is such a bummer for atheists. If I have to give you any more, you missed it, all right? Um, it's a bummer for atheists because they got no one to thank. And people that have a tiny God have an overinflated view of themselves. And people with an overinflated view of themselves are not thankful people, and they're not grateful people, and they're not humble people. And I'm just telling you that the pathway to the glory of God, Andrew hit it so well, the pathway to the presence of God is humility. It's recognizing who God is and who we are. And then the fact that he's invited us. Now, let me just tell you, keep holding on because we got this week and next week, we're hitting the transcendence. But man, when we ramp up to Christmas this next month of December, we're going to focus on the beauty of the closeness of God. And what I hope it does is since we've emphasized the, 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 the former, the latter will be all the sweeter to you, all right? Um, what is it that God wants from us? Giving thanks, a sacrifice that truly honors me. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, you know, you got these people out here that that mock the glory of God, mock God himself, that pretend like God doesn't exist. And this is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, a man can no more diminish God's glory or God's transcendence by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling darkness on the wall of his cell. Isn't that good? You can sit in your cell, your, your blind cell, your dark cell, your cold cell, your godless cell, and you can write the word darkness, but the fact that you wrote out the word does nothing to diminish the greatness of the glory of the sun that rises every single day. In the same way, we cannot give thanks to God. We can choose not to honor God but it doesn't diminish the glory and the greatness of God one bit. God is glorious, amen? God is worthy of our praise. Whether we give it or not, God is always worthy of our praise. I want to talk today very quickly about what's the price tag that we have to pay as a church or as individual believers in Christ. What's the price tag we pay when we have a little God? You know, you're saying, well, Pastor, why are we all this focus on big God? I'm going to tell you that the, the, the transcendence of God is not just a doctrine that we need to, you know, pull out occasionally when we've got nothing better to do. The transcendence of God is essential because if we do not have a big God, if we do not have a transcendent God, a lot else suffers. I want to give you four areas this morning as we ramp up the Thanksgiving holiday. And my goal is this, you know, I, I know at our house we're going to pull out a turkey. In fact, we, we kind of dish out the holidays as a family. Um, And uh, various family members host the rest of the tribe. You know, hosting the Johnson tribe is a big deal. They come in like locusts, all right? There's thousands of them. And then other people come with us, and before you know it, it's just like, you can hear the buzz of the locusts, and, and then the turkey's out, and then it's gone. You know, that's why... See, Thanksgiving's at my sister's house, but we always buy a turkey and we hide it for after Thanksgiving because there's nothing left. There's no leftovers. There's no, no bones to nibble on. It's just like, zzzz. And, um, and my sister will stuff about a 40-pound turkey, all right, with all that stuffing. You know, anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm getting excited. And, and you don't just like put stuffing in so you have to believe that it's in there by faith. No, no, no. You want it exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think coming out of the carcass of the turkey. Are you with me? Like you look at it and you go, whoa, that stuffing is overflowing. In fact, if you use the King James, you just say, it overfloweth onto my plateth. And then you put everything on your plate, right? And then what do you do? You baptize it in gravy. (laughs) I'm feeling the presence of God right now. Just getting ready. To celebrate! Come on. I mean, the green beans get gravy. I mean, if it's on my plate, gravy. And then, oh, then you just eat it. I share all that because here's the deal. I want you all to be like turkeys, stuffed with the dressing of transcendence. So that when you leave here today, what's coming out of you is thanksgiving and gratitude for God and all that he's done and you're just stuffed like a turkey, and and you're overflowing with transcendence, all right? I didn't say you were a turkey. I said you're stuffed like a turkey, all right? There's a big difference, so don't anybody get mad at me. All right, so let's talk about what's the problem with a little God? What's the price tag? First of all, I want to suggest this. If we serve a little God and we worship a little God, the first thing to suffer is our praise or our worship. And I love what, what Andrew brought out, and we didn't you know, plan all this, but I love how the Holy Spirit works this out. There's not a father or mother in this room that, that at the core of your being, you don't love being able to bless your children. You love it. Whenever they come to you, you love being able to bless them. You love being able to hug them, embrace them, kiss them. You, if, and Sometimes it's just a matter of having the money. If, if money were no problem, there's not a thing in the world that one of you wouldn't do for your kids, right? But here's the deal. The approach is everything. If your child is selfish, if your child is greedy, if your child is entitled, if your child whines and your child pouts and your child manipulates and your child treats you with disrespect, I guarantee you the blessing flow just got cut off. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you know what? It should because you're going to raise a kid who's a narcissist, and all that kid's going to think about is themselves and their needs and their wants, and you're going to end up destroying that person. There's a balance. And we always want our kids to know, first of all, and this is, I think, a, a, a sign of good parenting. If you want your kids to be your best friends, don't treat them as best friends. Treat them as your children, and always make sure they understand that you're the dad or you're the mom, and there's a a line there that is sacrosanct. You don't go across it. You don't violate it. As soon as you violate it, you destroy what God intended for that relationship to be. In other words, you always want your kids, yes, I want every one of my children, I want to be their best friend. I want them to love me, respect me. I want them to want to be with me. I want them to enjoy my presence. But I also want them to know I'm your dad and that's your mom, and there's a difference here, all right? That's the what I'm talking about. It's the same thing in our relationship with God. If you serve a tiny, pathetic God, or you serve a God who's just a a glorified Santa Claus, and God just exists to bless you, you know, he's just there, you tell him what you want, and he ships it on down, kind of like, you know, uh, uh, Amazon, Amazon. there we go. Uh, You just hit send and shows up at your door. How many of you know God's not a robot, and God's not a slot machine, and God's not a little old man with a long white beard, and God's not Santa Claus, he's not the Easter bunny, he's not the tooth fairy. None of those things are God. God is awesome, and God is great, and God is majestic, and God is holy, and God is completely not like us, he says. And it's because of who he is by nature. How many of you know there's not one of us in this room that could love ourselves more than anything else in the whole wide world? But guess what? God does. And the reason God loves himself more than anything else is because he's God. And that's what God does. If God loved anything more than himself, he wouldn't be God. Whatever he loved would now be God. So God loves himself and he loves his glory more than anything. And guess what? Don't try it because it's not you. It's not fitting for you. It's not fitting for me. I mean, you know, God's really smart. and There's a lot of things I don't know. So guess what I try not to do? Question his intelligence. Because that's stupid. God's really powerful. I'm really not. So guess what I try not to do? I try not to put limits when God says all things are possible, and I love the way the worship team set us up today. God of miracles. I'm going to believe what God says about himself, not my interpretation of God through my own human weaknesses. And the problem is this, when we serve a little God, we start to fall into spiritual boredom and lethargy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I think we've all been there where you fall into a routine, when you start going through the motions, and let me just define what that is. That's called religion. And can I just share with you, I love Josh and Amy's testimony this morning. They gave up religion, they came into a relationship with Jesus. There's a big difference. How many of you know religion, and not atheism, is the church's worst enemy? Nobody's jealous of the life of an atheist, but religion puts on this mask of of, uh, respectability. We sing all the right words. We dress the right way. We show up when we're supposed to. We put on this air of, of, of being okay. But I mean, no, religion will destroy you. And religion drives people from God. Because the problem is we lose the essence of what our faith is. We lose the relationship that's supposed to be there at the core of who we are. You know, I just got to warn you, when we, when we worship a small God, here's what happens. We come to church with idols and, and known sin patterns in our lives. Maybe it's relational stuff. Maybe it's stuff that we're, we're involved in that we shouldn't be. And we know we shouldn't be because God has prohibited these things. And yet we come into worship. And there's been times when I talk to people and say, hey, how are you doing? And I know this person wants to kill this person. All right, they got unforgiveness and bitterness. Oh, I've never been closer to Jesus in all my life. Let me, just, let me just tell you what's going on. You're deceived. And let me tell you something else. It's dangerous. It is dangerous. If we were worshiping God as he is, like let's just go back Old Testament days, all right? Let's just say this is the holy of holies. Like if you came in here and you weren't right with God, you would die. How many of you would pause before you enter? (laughs) How many of you would kill your wife in an argument in the car on the way here and then come in here and say, Hallelujah, brother, praise the Lord, how are you doing? Awesome, brother, I'm blessed. (laughs) You wouldn't be doing that, praise God, I'm blessed thing. No, you'd be finding your wife. And you'd be saying, how are we? And she'd be saying, well, I think we're good. Forgive me for that. And then here's what you'd be doing. Anything else? (laughs) Anything else I may have missed? Because you're missed means you're dead. How many of you know we've kind of strayed downstream a little bit? And what happens is when we don't worship that God, we get lackadaisical. We go through the motions. We paint a religious whitewash like the Pharisees did. And how many of you know when you paint a veneer over stuff on the inside that's not good, it actually hardens and it makes it harder for God to encounter you because you're numb. You know, some of us, God help us, I was born on a Tuesday and I was in church on Sunday and I haven't missed hardly a Sunday since. Some of you can relate. People like me have to really watch it because we can get religious without having a passion for God. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Any like church people out there? You don't have to raise your hand. Church um, Church people. That's why I love the mixture of church people who get encountered by God with fresh people who are just coming out of the world encountered by God. I mean, you know, there's the deal. You want your worship to be fresh. In other words, you don't want to be singing things that you don't mean. You don't want to give the appearance of looking good or doing the right stuff, but it's hollow on the inside. You know, we need to, when we see the Lord for who he is, there needs to be a sense of savoring of God. Y'all know the difference. It's the um, it's the mmm. In fact, I was sharing with first service it's totally appropriate to make noises at the dinner table at Thanksgiving. Appropriate noises. All right. Some of you make bad noises, stop it, you're ruining the whole meal. I'm talking about good noises. Come on, you know what I'm talking about with those ribs, and you put and someone goes mmm as the juice and the sauce is running down their chin. That's called worship. All right, when we when we come here on Sunday, there should be noise. It's mmm. Mmm. That's that means we see it and we savor it, and it tastes good. I mean, you know, the Bible says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. To praise God without pleasure in God is hypocrisy. We have to watch that. I'm skipping on here because I've got some ground to cover. I love what Matt Redmond says this. He says, worship thrives on wonder. For worship to be worship, it must contain something of the otherness of God. That's why I'm challenging our worship team. Man, let's sing songs, not that we haven't been, but let's sing songs that cause us to be in awe of God. Man, the lyrics of that song we sang over communion, powerful lyrics that inspire us to worship this great God. Second thing that we're going to lose if we worship a little God, besides losing our praise and our lifestyle of worship, is we lose our purity. And some of you can maybe relate to this. When all you hear about is grace, 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 but it's a grace that simply excuses your ongoing sinfulness. How many of you know that's not biblical grace? The Lord said this to me as I was putting this message out. He said, my grace is always baptized in my blood because the blood reminds us that the grace is costly, and the blood reminds us that the grace is not a get-out-of-jail-free card to keep sinning, but the blood reminds us that it's the power of God to change us so that we don't have to keep living that way. But when you worship a sloppy God, a, a, a sloppy grace God, a Santa Claus God, I don't know about you, but I've had this happen in my own life. We start to get a little numb towards things that we used to have a very high standard toward. You know, I used to have an incredibly high standard, let's just say, for watching my eyes when it came to a movie or a commercial or whatever the thing was. But, you know, as you get older, you just start to get a little numb to the things around you. And you know that it's not wrong. I mean, you know that it's wrong in God's eyes, but you just get callous towards it because it's everywhere, right? Well, no, that's a sign that your God's starting to shrink a little bit. And isn't it great? I don't know about you, but I love it when God is speaking to me and I'm quick to respond because it's fresh and it's alive and God's, uh, uh, there's a sense of the reality of God in my heart. In other words, when the Lord speaks, we're quick to repent. When the Lord speaks, we're quick to, to jump to whatever it is He's asking us to do because we love Him and we hear from Him. You know, it's interesting that when the demons showed up in Sunday church, along with Jesus, this is Mark chapter 1, 23 and 24. It says that there's a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, and now there's a demon in him, cried out, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? This is what the demon said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Isn't it interesting that the lead attribute that demons recognize was not the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, although those are great. But what freaked hell out was the holiness of God. How about the situation? That I love this story. We're going to talk about this a little more next Sunday. But you remember when Jesus was teaching on the shore, and the crowd, the throng, literally pushed him to the edge of the water, and finally he looked around. There's a couple boats. He jumps in the boats. He gets out in the water, and he starts teaching the people and Peter was in one of those boats, and Jesus gets done sharing his message with them, ministering to them, and he turns to Peter, and he's saying, Jesus, knowing what had just happened the night before, he says to Peter, let's go fishing. And you all remember that story. Peter's like, Lord, you don't understand. Leave it up to the experts. We fished all night. We got squat. We caught nothing. We didn't even get a bite. But Jesus says, come on, you know, humor me. There goes God, fishing with Peter. And you know the story throws the net out on the other side, pulls in so many fish. Peter's like waist deep in the boat. The boat's threatening to sink. And you'd think, I mean, I know what Jesus is doing. I'm sure Jesus is cracking up. (laughs) Jesus thinks this is awesome. I just caught all these fish by name and they listen to me because I'm I'm really awesome (laughs) because I'm God. And fish listen to me. And I know all their names because I'm God and I'm awesome. And Jesus can do this. We can't do this. But I want you to see what happens to Peter. This is Luke chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck. That is, he was filled with wonder and amazement. This is stunning. The Bible says we, we worship God in holy reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. The word awe means to take a step back. Whenever we encounter the majesty and greatness of God, it's counterintuitive. What we think would happen is Peter would run up and get, you know, jump up, wrap his legs around Jesus, give him a big old hug around the neck and say, dude, how awesome. You just gave me enough fish to you know, live off of for a month. This is awesome. That's not the familiarity that Peter demonstrates with Jesus. He realizes at that, that moment Somebody awesome is in his boat. And notice what he does. He steps back. Isn't that amazing? And then he asks the Lord, please stay away from me because I'm a sinful man. Have you ever had something where maybe you were judging a situation or you were speaking about this or speaking about that? Or how about this? You just overspoke and then all of a sudden you got the rest of the the facts. Maybe you know what I'm talking about? And you get cut in the heart because you realize, I just spoke too soon. I didn't have all the information. And you feel terrible. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Am I the only sinner in this room? All right. How about when you're standing in a boat and you know what was going on in Peter's mind? Jesus, just keep to the sermon stuff, dude. You've never fished in your life. (laughs) Now he's waist deep with fish. And everything that he thought in his heart that maybe he didn't verbalize, he now realizes, I got that wrong. And the next thing you know, he's worshiping in fish. That's called transcendence. It also led to this radical change because Jesus, I mean, Jesus is having a ball, he's just being himself. And afterwards, Jesus says, Peter, hey, I got something even better for you. We're going to go fishing for people. It's going to be awesome. And Peter, the Bible says, the disciples that were with Jesus, they left everything to follow him. What happened? Well, that's what happens when transcendence shows up. We deal with the stuff in our hearts, and we care about purity, and we care about following Christ. Let me move on to a great quote here. In a few minutes, I have left. This is from John Piper. He says If you don't see the greatness of God, then all the things that money can buy become very exciting. If you can't see the sun, you'll be impressed with a street light. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasures. Can you see why the greatness of God matters to our holiness? Because when you've seen Him, and when you love Him, and when you've encountered Him, what else in this world truly matters? But if you've never seen thunder, heard thunder, seen lightning, then a little sparkler will wow you. But how many of you saw that lightning a couple days ago? I was wowed, and I love it because I know know the God who creates lightning, and I I just revel in the greatness and glory of God now that I am a Jesus lover. Let me get to number three here real quickly. It's going to cost us our praise. It's going to cost us our purity. Number three, a little God will cost us our mission. It'll cost us our mission. How many of you know when the disciples saw a great God and then that great God invited them to join him in the reaching of the world with the good news of Jesus Christ? What did they do? It's amazing. Jesus says, follow me. They go, okay, and they drop everything and they follow him. How does that happen? That's what happens when you have a vision of a great God. How many of you know we have the most amazing mission on planet Earth? It's an awesome mission. We've been invited to join the Lord in seeing people redeemed. That's why I love watching baptism, every one of those lives is saying, I was once lost, now I've been found. I was once in sin, now I've been set free. I'm publicly giving my life to Christ. Does that ever get old to anybody in this room? Uh, you know, I think of our Celebrate Recovery mayor. Does anybody ever get tired of seeing somebody addicted to a hurt a habit or a hang-up that gets delivered and set free? Does anybody get tired of seeing marriages restored for the glory of God? Does anybody get tired of going to foreign countries and s- establishing churches and preaching the gospel and watching people from another country come to know Christ? I mean, come on. This is exactly what we've been called to do, and yet we'll never do it if our God's too small. If we have a little God, then the the mission becomes insignificant. It's something that we try to fit into our lives when it's free or when we can squeeze it in. You know what? If our worship's passionless, then we make really lousy witnesses. Have you ever found that to be true? When when your worship is is on neutral because you're worshiping that little God, and you're your own God, you're bigger than God then you're not free to share with other people. But man, when you're on fire for God and he's big and he's called you and you're privileged and you're blessed and you're humble and you're full of him, man, it's so easy to tell other people about Jesus, is it not? The key is having a big God so we don't lose our big mission. In fact, if we're not fervent worshipers of God, we really have nothing to tell the nations of the world. Passion always precedes our preaching. And when our passion for God is weak, our zeal for the mission is weak. There's a great quote here by Andrew Murray, a famous missionary to South Africa. He wrote a book a number of years ago called The Missionary Problem. He was trying to figure out why we're living in a world with so many professed Christians and yet so many who are not willing to invest their lives in really touching other people. And I want to I really challenge us with that thought this morning. Who are you intentionally reaching out to over this holiday season? to invite them out to church, to invite them to your home for dinner, to invite them out to your life group, to invite them out to CR, invite them to somewhere where you're, where you're looking to build a relationship with people, to love people that are lost and don't know God. Here's what Andrew Murray said. As we seek to find out why with such millions of Christians, the real army of God that is fighting the host of darkness is so small. He said the only answer is this, a lack of heart. He said enthusiasm of the kingdom is missing and that's because there's so little enthusiasm for the king. If enthusiasm for the kingdom is missing from our lives, it's because we're worshiping a small God and we have such little enthusiasm for our king. When our hearts are burning with passion for our king, our lives will be burning with purity. We'll want to please God. And when we want to please God and we want to walk with God, God speaks to us. God God begins to move in our lives. And then the next thing that follows is we join him on the mission that God's given us And lastly, I'll close with this, and if our worship team can make their way back up here. The fourth thing that we lose when our God is little is we lose our message. A tame, boring, toothless lion of a God leaves us with a message that is irrelevant and impotent. Can I just say this? You know, right now we're fighting so hard to make God, in other words, we're trying to do um, God for dummies. Have you ever seen those books for dummies? I usually read those, so I'm not making fun of them. They're helpful. But God for dummies is not helpful because a God that is dumbed down to our level is not a God that is awesome. The more we try to make the God of the Bible domesticated for our culture so nobody gets offended by him or scared by him, the more disservice we actually do to the gospel. Let me put this in balance. You know, right now, and I'm just bringing this up not because one sin is greater than another sin. I'm just bringing this up because this is in our faces every single day in American culture. Everybody knows right now, because we're seeing it, we're having a, all the sexual perversion in our nation is being exposed, right? Every day. Every day. I believe God's doing this. I believe that God answers the cry of his intercessors in the church. I, I believe we're crying out for an awakening in our land, and God's going to judge all the idols. Well, what is the number one idol in America? sexual perversion. We'll do anything but align our lives with what God says about marriage. And let me just tell you why we need a big God. You know, we were just teaching our marriage class this week. Uh, This is why we need a big God. You know, the Bible says this, the marriage bed is to be kept pure and undefiled, meaning the only place for the expression of sex is in the covenant of marriage. And let me tell you where the big God comes in, because right after that, this is what God says. I personally, God speaking, I personally will judge the adulterer. That should put the fear of God in our hearts. God is coming to judge sin. Jesus did not try to be relevant. Jesus said things like this, I'm God. Well, that's new. When's the last time you saw a person claiming to be God? How many of you know a big claim gets your attention? When Jesus showed up in synagogues and demons start screaming out his identity, how many of you know that gets your attention? If Jesus looks just like us, he doesn't get anybody's attention. But Jesus is like us, but he's not like us. When Jesus says, I am the way, how many of you know that gets people's attention? Not because he's trying to fit on the back of a bumper sticker that says coexist because Jesus doesn't believe in that bumper sticker. Jesus said, I am the way. How many of you know he's got our attention? Yes. Yes. Jesus said, I am truth, the embodiment of truth. How many of you know nobody in their right mind says that? That's right. Unless it's true, and unless you're big, and unless you're God, nobody says things like that. How many of you know Jesus automatically Put himself in a whole other category of every prophet, religious leader, good person, moral teacher. He he he's not going to allow you to put him in that category because what he said was so stinking big, it doesn't fit categories. How about when he said, "I'm being born of a virgin"? Now that's a new one. Puts him in a different category, does it not? How many says, "I'm the only way to the Father"? How many of you know that's what Jesus said? I'm the only way to get to God. How many of you know he's got our attention now? How about when he said, "I'm the"? I am the, uh, uh, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that I am Lord. I mean, you know, that's a power verse. So, what do you preach when you're in an Islamic country? I'll tell you what I preach that's what I preach right there King of kings, Lord of lords. Good news for all the nations. King of all the world. Every knee will bow before him. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. That is an awesome God. When the Bible says this person and this person and this person will not inherit the kingdom of God, those statements should cause the fear of God to grip our hearts. We should not be able to come in here on Sunday morning and sing the right words and yet be one of those people and walk out and say, man, that was a good service. That means we failed you. We failed you. This is a dangerous place. God is a dangerous God. When he says that he's coming to judge the living and the dead, how many of you know, when, when people say, well, Pastor Ron, you shouldn't judge me. Don't you, don't you judge me. Only God could judge me. Do you understand what you just said? Amen. Only God can judge me. You should be shaking on the ground, freaking out, if you believe what just came out of your mouth. Only God can judge me. Do you know who you're talking to? You're talking to the God who knows every single thought you ever thought before it ever was thought. He knows the interior of you. He knows your heart. He knows your motives. He knows your lust. He knows your sins. He knows everything about you. And you're more comfortable with him judging you than your neighbor? Are you nuts? You're worshiping a puny little God. I'm telling you, if we understood this, we would step back before we stepped in. We would, we would prepare our hearts before we got here if we believed that God was who we said he is. And if there were things in our life that we've just been pushing off to the side, pretending like it's not a big deal to God, it's not a big deal to God, listen to me, if the blood of God's Son was nailed to a cross and shed for the sin of your life and my life, do you think that is a big deal? Do you think Jesus is a big deal? Do you think what he went through is a big deal? I'm telling you, it's the biggest deal in human history. And the problem is we do not align ourselves properly to treat one another the way we need to treat one another, and certainly to honor God the way we need to honor God. The Bible says people are going to be looking for rocks to fall on them. They're going to be trying to hide in caves at the coming of the Son of God. He's not coming with a whisper. He's coming in power and absolute sovereign authority. And he is going to release the fullness of his anger against sin and his his hatred against everything that is evil and everything that has tried to mock His great and glorious name. People are going to be freaking out at the coming of the Son of God. I'm just telling you, there's not a one of us in this room that shouldn't think about that every week. You know, this sort of time, it is what time. It is the thought of eternity and what's coming that should set our lives aright now. The weight of the glory of God is the greatest deterrent to sin. And here's my passion. How are we supposed to preach the good news of this great God if we're constantly dumbing him down so that we don't offend somebody who doesn't know him? You cannot even join the club until you've been offended. It's the truth. You can't even get in. What did Jesus say about his ministry? Came to separate, divide, divide families. Yeah, we skip over those parts of the Bible. But my Bible says that, and so does yours. Jesus makes audacious claims on our lives. If if we set our hand to the plow and look back, we're not fit for the kingdom. That's not very nice. I'm tired of trying to explain Jesus' heart. He said it, not me. Why Get offended with him. No, don't get offended with him, please. Worship him. And don't wrestle with what he said. Submit to what he said. Don't fight what he said like he doesn't know what he's talking about. Who knows more about reality than the one who created reality and is the fountain of all reality? We worship a God who's too small. Now somebody says, you know, and this goes for all of us. You know, pastor, were you afraid when you go to like an Islamic country? Well, if we're in the natural, we would be afraid. But let me just tell you something. We're not afraid. We're the dangerous ones. Do you know who lives inside of you? He just showed up in an Islamic country. Every Muslim demon in hell is trembling when you show up with a real God inside of you. We got this all screwed up. If there's a big God inside of you, you do daring things. If there's a little God inside of you, oh my gosh, you're always worried. stop it. Turn in your cheap, fake, little, puny God. You're called to be dangerous to injustice, dangerous to wickedness, dangerous to everything that exalts itself against God. Why do missionaries back in the day go to places like India? It's because William Carey had a big God that he believed in. Why would David Livingston go to Africa? Because he had a big God. Why do these people go and stand in the face of injustice? Why are we going against the injustice of abortion right now when it's so easy to turn, pretend like it doesn't exist, pretend like it's not in our neighborhood because we serve a dangerous God, a God who loves people, a God who expects us to speak against evil and injustice because we're the dangerous ones. That's the God that we serve. If you and I do not get this right, our worship and our praise is tepid, it's lukewarm. Our purity is compromised. We start to say everything's okay when it's not okay. We look like the world, smell like the world, talk like the world, we're entertained by the world. That's what happens when we haven't had an encounter with a great God. Our mission gets compromised because whatever Jesus asks is just too much because our God is so little. And our, our, our message becomes something no one wants to hear because it's so undramatic. It's so tiny. It's so, it doesn't ask anything. Do you know that Islam is growing across the nations of the world in some places because Islam actually makes demands of people? It makes demands of people. Now it's all works and it's all demonic and it's religious junk, but it's demanding something of you. How many of you think Jesus Christ made any demands of his followers? Read the New Testament. It's full of demands. Why is it that we don't want to spend our lives doing something that's not going to challenge us? Why is it? The last place we should be bored is in the church of Jesus Christ. We need a big God. Because the world's waiting for a people that are following a big God. I just want us, as we're going into this year, and I'm speaking to every ministry head and here. What, what are the things God's put in your heart? What are the big dreams? What are we doing to, to believe God for bigger things, to, to trust Him for greater things than we've ever never dreamed or thought about? Let's press in to the greatness of God. Let's believe God for things that seem impossible. That's what honors him. That's what stuns the world. And that's what keeps it real in the church. Stand to your feet. And I want to I leave here this morning by worshiping our way out. Is that okay with y'all? I want us to worship a big God and I want us to, to pour our affection out on him. And listen, if there's something you need to get right in your heart, the altars are open. But let's not leave here today with any pet idols that we've stored away. Let's ask God for a freshness, for a sense of purity, for a burning passion for his mission, and for a message that wants to come out of a heart that's on fire for him. Let's worship him right now.